this is Liam Hendricks and you're watching Crosstown Crosstalk on the Barroom Network. Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Every summer in Chicago, the sunshine spotlights the city's spectacular skyline. It's luxurious lakeshore, marvelous monuments, and the over 200 neighborhoods in the city. And it also brings to light two of the greatest sports franchises in the world. On the north side, it's the Cubs. On the south side, it's the White Sox. This is Crosstown Crosstown. Hello and welcome to another very exciting episode of Crosstown Crosstalk presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi and this is the show where you get Cubs, White Sox, anything MLB in between to make you a better baseball fan. It is great to be with each and every one of you. I'm very excited that, you know, we're kind of more than halfway into the Major League Baseball postseason. The World Series is next week. You know that's exciting times in baseball land. Super excited about it. So I'm looking across the whole sports landscape, and I realize that in the for the 27th time in the history of the United States slash North American pro sports, there is an NFL, NHL, NBA, and MLB game all on the same day. It is the sports equinox. Those of us that enjoy sports and watch sports and love sports, very happy on a day like today. I'm looking across the standings, looking across the scores across the league. I notice that in hockey, the Philadelphia Flyers are 3-1-0. John Tortorella gets this team off to a 3-0-0 start. They lose a tough one yesterday. The Florida Panthers, who were one of the best teams in the NHL last year, we'll see how they are this year. Of course, the Philadelphia Phillies are in the National League Championship Series in a 1-1 series tie with the San Diego Padres. And the Philadelphia Eagles playing in the National Football League's NFC East, are 6-0 on the season. They are the only undefeated team left in the NFL. So I did some thinking. I'm like, I got to have somebody on who knows Philly sports better than anybody. I'm looking through Twitter. I'm trying to find ultimately great guests. I always go first to the fan-sided network, of course, covering the Phillies for that ball's out of here of the MLB side of things. And then the Philadelphia Eagles for inside the Eagles. It is Hunter Doyle. Hunter, how we doing? I'm doing great, Vinny. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm excited to talk some Philly sports, as you said today. Absolutely. So first off, I wanted to get to know you a little bit before we get into sure. the entire Philly landscape of sports. How did you get in with Fansided? How did that become a thing? When did you know you wanted to write? When did you know that Philly sports was enough of a passion where you would try to, you know, make some content out of it? Absolutely. So I mean, I, I was born and raised in Philadelphia. I told you I'm now in Chicago college uh, as it has it. So I knew from a young age that Philly sports was big passion of mine, you know, God, family, friends, and then right down there. I mean, Philly sports affects my emotions for the week pretty or for the day usually. So I knew from a young age that was something I wanted to do something with. And then once I got older um, and then started to read a lot of articles started to do my own like you know I, I don't think you're a sports fan unless you've done some sort of Instagram fan page before in middle school or high school so I, I got into that 
I did a Phillies fan page for quite some time, and I, I could never fit what I wanted to write in the Instagram captions with the character limit. So once I got to college and then found, found out about fan-sided from a friend who does it for the Ohio State side of things there, I knew I wanted to do that for the Eagles. So I started to do that. I started to do just a lot of statistical stuff, and then as I got to know the game more and started to, to love it more, then I started to do more analysis. And then I was like, well, I played baseball my whole life. Why don't I do that and football? So um, those were always two big passions of mine. Football is, you know, obviously Philly's probably a football town, but I think you see now when there's playoff baseball in Philadelphia, it's it's a different thing. I mean, it's a different energy in the city. So, um, yeah, those are my two sports. I follow all four sports as much as I can. But, yeah, I knew, I knew from a young age this was something I was definitely interested in, just doing sports media. So it's been a lot of fun. That's outstanding. I love hearing stories like that. And you now, you live in a suburb of Chicago, so you kind of see what it's like to be around fans of teams in this town. It's obviously on the opposite side of the spectrum in terms of success here in the year 2022. But I told you off air before we started that I believe, listen, Pittsburgh, I've been there, great sports town. Minneapolis slash St. Paul, been there, great sports town. Detroit, been there, great sports town. Nobody competes with the big four in the United States of America of Boston, New York, Chicago, and Philly. Do you stand by that sentiment? Do you challenge oh, it at all? What do you think? No, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's nothing like seeing sports fans on the East coast. And I know Chicago is not technically East coast, but I think it's, I think it's different on kind of this side of the country. And, and I would include Chicago in that there's a different type of passion and different type of electricity around the city when your teams are doing well. I don't think you quite get that out West when you have celebrities going to the games and it's just not the same vibe for me. So I think, I think those four cities absolutely run the sports in this country. For sure. And you touched on it with success a little bit there. The Philadelphia Phillies are in a one, one series tie with the San Diego Padres in the national league championship series. Wasn't easy. So before we dive into, you know, the playoffs and all that kind of stuff, I want to know where were you when they were 22 and 29 you know, 40-some, 50-some games into the season. I'm not good at math. Um, and they make the coaching change and bring someone new in, and all of a sudden things start to turn around. You lose Bryce Harper to injury. It, it couldn't have been that good of a feeling at that point in the season. I'm sure you don't see yourself three wins away from the World Series at that time. Not at all. I remember I was doing podcasts for Philly Insider Podcast on YouTube. I was doing some podcasts there just about every day after those games, and – I mean, I just remember me and the viewers just complaining and complaining. Why is Jerry's Familia in a, a tie ball game or a close ball game? Just so many bogus decisions. That And that's just the, the start of it all. Um, I was really, really just disappointed that this team finally went over the luxury tax. And here we are sitting with a losing record. You just thinking, where do we go from here? I mean, you knew, one, we had to fire Girardi. But it's like, what happens after that? what does the future hold next year? We have this core intact. Now guys are getting paid a lot of money and this is the result after we finally spend a little bit. So I think we were all, the world was collapsing in Philadelphia. You know, it was like, well, at least we got the Eagles coming up at the end of the summer. <laughs> that was really all we had to look forward to. Sixers playoffs was going on, but I mean, that didn't last very long after we lost the Miami heat pretty handily too. I mean, it wasn't very close, but it, only a couple of close games were three and four, but yeah, we, we were not feeling very good about Philly sports, but especially the Phillies in general. So I even even in September when the Phillies were kind of collapsing, the Brewers ended up collapsing more, but we were like, well, Phillies are just going to embarrassingly back into the playoffs. It doesn't matter. The drought's over. 
if we lose a playoff series, win a playoff series, it is what it is, but that's as about as far as we're going. So I'm, I, I'm shocked to be right here talking about the Phillies being three wins away from the, the uh, world series, let alone the fact that they have the next three games at home too, which is a really big deal for the city. So I'm, I'm in shock. And so you've seen some big time bats lead the way for the Phillies so sure. far this season. Uh, Bryce Harper was the national league MVP last year. And, you know, he's been a little hurt this year. He didn't have quite the same run that he did last year, but we know how good he was and has been and continues to be. And then Kyle Schwarber led the National League in home runs. <laughs> Just uh, they signed him. And I don't know if Philly was on anybody's radar for Kyle Schwarber. I know people, they were one of the teams mentioned. He ended up choosing to go there. What do you make of the two seasons that your two big offensive bats have had so far this year? Mm, yeah, definitely. I think there was a lot of frustration around Schwarber hitting in the leadoff spot for some time. A lot of a lot of my friends and I maintained that Schwarber, with some time, we we know we knew he was a June hitter, and we knew that like once the summer got rolling, we were like, all right, he, he's going to have a hot streak where he's going to turn it on and win this fan base back. I don't know if we expected him to have the June he did. I mean, it was that was pretty almost not historic, but it was, it was a pretty insane month of June that he had. And he always has a great month of June. So that was great to see him turn it around. I think he has been frustrating the leadoff spot sometimes because for as many strikeouts as he had, has you'd love to see him get on base a little bit more in addition to those home runs and almost be like a true three outcome player. But at the end of the day, every, every time he's putting the ball in play, it's usually, it's a, it's a pretty big impact on the game. And yeah, I mean the, the Phillies, that's, kind of been their philosophy with their, with their lineup is that things can change with one swing and that they have five, six, seven, eight, maybe even nine guys who can change it with one swing. Maybe not that much, but yeah, I, I love what Kyle Schwarber has done. And honestly, look, he hasn't been great in left field, but he, he's been, I mean, serviceable might be a strong word, but he, he's what he's done at the plate has definitely made up for what he's done in the field. Whereas Castellanos, I think we'll probably talk about him. That was not necessarily the case for most of the year. And as far as, as far as Harper goes, I mean, yeah, you said it, like not quite the MVP year he had, and he became off that injury a little slow for sure, you could tell. But, I mean, what he did before the injury to help us get to where we were and what he's doing now in the playoffs, what a postseason he has had. Once he gets locked in and dialed in, there is there are very few baseball players that are better than him. Um, you know, he's definitely in that upper echelon of guys who can – take your team over the top when he's playing his best baseball. So it's been really cool to see that. And it was unfortunate that he got hurt because I don't think he would have won the MVP. I think Goldschmidt and then some other guys like Arenado Machado, they all had really good seasons, but I think he definitely would have been in the conversation had he had the full season. When you talk about Schwarber having a good year and having some big moments, I know there are a lot of people who watch this locally who remember that he missed the entire 2016 yes. season and then he worked his way back to play in the World Series against the Cleveland Indians and he got on base at a 50% clip. It was one of the most in, impactful postseason performances in the history of Chicago sports and he did it after not playing all year long. You're seeing him kind of have a similar type of impact on the postseason this year, would you say? Does October's Warber mean something to you? Oh, it definitely does. You know, I know he didn't really – performed too well in the NLDS or in the wild card series, but we were all just waiting. We're like, again, it's kind of like the regular season. Like we were like, we know at some point this postseason he is going to have his moment. And sure, sure enough, he did in game one against the Padres with that nuke he hit into the right field stands. Yeah. I, I think we, even like at the back end of the NLDS, like that last game he played, I believe he was one for two. I think he got on base a few times in that game. So just, I think the big thing with him is even when he's not getting on base, 
he's seeing a lot of pitches and the rest of these guys, there's times where he, he is aggressive and he'll swing at that first pitch because he wants to try to take advantage early in the count. But I think he gives a lot of intel to these other guys on what he's seeing when he's being the first guy up to bat. Um, and I think he's just a leader in that locker room. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'd say it's pretty similar to like the impact he had that year for you guys coming off that injury and then doing what he did in that series. Yeah, I definitely think just him being a leader, being at the top of that lineup, like people will complain about it. And I'm not sure next year he'll be the leadoff hitter, depending on what we do in the offseason. But I think he has a bigger impact sometimes than the box score shows. And like you said, just getting on base, I think he's starting to do a little bit more of that this round as well. The White Sox were in on both Bryce Harper and Manny Machado during the 2019 offseason. And got particularly close to signing Machado. And then that mystery team came in and ended up being the San Diego Padres, making a lot of people go absolutely insane around here. I know we've all seen the movie Moneyball and you hear the phrase, how can you not be romantic about baseball? How can you not be romantic about baseball? They're playing against each other in the national Mm. league championship series. Just what, four years later, what do you make of that? It's definitely, it's weird. You know, I, I remember why I've, I mean, I've, I've been a loyal Phillies fan my whole life out of the, I mean, four teams, I'd say the Eagles and Phillies I've watched the most. I watched the Sixers rebuild as well, but the Phillies, I mean, watching 162 games of the rebuild years that it makes what is happening right now mean that much more. And to the point of Harper Machado, I remember both of those guys seeing videos of them visit citizens bank park and knowing one of these guys is going to be the guy that ends my pain <laughs> as a Philly sports fan. And brings us out of this period of suffering. Like it was almost like the light at the end of the tunnel. So now to see, you know, especially Machado got signed first. So I'm thinking, all right, well now it's Bryce Harper or bust. Um, and now to see both of those guys in that huge off season, to see them playing against each other. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, it's almost like kind of a, a, a battle for bragging rights in a sense of, you know, I, obviously they're both getting paid millions of dollars and they're both helping their baseball teams win. But, you know, in terms of the fan bases and how that goes, it's like, all right, well, Manny wasn't our guy. And honestly, Bryce kind of fits the mold of Philadelphia a little bit more. I think that Johnny Hustle comment that Manny Machado made turned off a lot of Philly fans from him because we want guys who have grit and who are going to go out there every single play and give their all. And you see Bryce Harper. I mean, sometimes he goes for the extra base and is over aggressive and I get frustrated with it sometimes, but ultimately it comes from a, a place of him wanting to just put the city on top, even if I don't like it. You know, I, I that's something I'd like to not do as much, but my point being like, he has that Philly attitude and that Philly heart. So it's almost like, it's almost kind of like a fan base thing that I make of it where it's like, look, our, our guy, like the guy that we got, he's going to take us to better heights than your guy will be able to take you to um, and where your team is able to go. For sure. And you touched on Nick Castellanos, one of the greatest memes mm-hmm. in the history of sports. <laughs> but he he kind of had an interesting year. Did he kind of surpass expectations? Not really quite be as impressive as you thought. I know he was injured there a little bit at the end. What's going mm-hmm. on with Castellanos? we were all really frustrated with him during the season. I think it started out like, okay, this is, this is all right. We can do that. You know? And then by the time August came around, we're like, all right, it's time to start doing something, buddy. I mean, 260 with a low OPS and, and, you know, just not really, I think he had a lot of RBI singles over the course of the year. Um, I mean, numbers, numbers aren't everything, but I, I, you know, I wasn't upset with that. I think he makes good contact with the baseball. And when he's, he's hitting singles, I think he's spraying the field. But you're paying that guy to take those single those pitches that he's hitting those singles on to take them gap to gap. Even if he's not hitting home runs, he's known for being a gap guy who can hit doubles. And we didn't quite see that from him this year. We were all very disappointed because that slider low and away, every single time that has been his kryptonite. Even though the playoffs, that has been an issue for him at times. He's gotten a little bit better at it throughout the year. 
I th- and I think next year, I, I think that first year of a contract can be tough. I really do believe next year, I, I think he's going to settle in, understand what the Philly fan base expects. I don't think he didn't understand that, but really understand what this Philly fan base expects from him and what the team needs from him. And I think next year he'll, I don't know if he'll return to the 2021 Reds form he was at, but something fairly close to that I'm hoping for. So I think him performing a little bit in the playoffs, like he hasn't been outstanding, but him just coming through situationally in big moments when runners have been in scoring position, I think that's all. That's not a race, but it's put a lot of what happened in the regular season to rest and makes people feel a little more comfortable. Okay, this is what we need heading into next year. Even if he's fighting off pitches in the right field, you win at all costs. And in the playoffs, if you're helping this team win, people don't care how you get it done. They just appreciate you for, for what happens. But I think the big thing also, last thing I'll mention on him, Right field, we knew he was going to be a liability there. And unfortunately, he has been forced to play there because of the Bryce Harper injury to his UCL. We were hoping, we were like, oh, okay, at least with the power numbers, it's not going to matter what he does in right field because he's going to go up there and hit bombs. And, you know, just didn't quite have that type of season. But I'm personally still hopeful for him for the future. And I I think it wasn't the season we were hoping for, but I think there's – a lot to build off of, of what happened in this postseason. And look, if he if he does something in his NLCS or if we make it to the World Series and he has a big hit there, like again, people aren't going to care what happened in the regular season. So we're all kind of pleased with where he's at right now. For sure. Zach Wheeler mm. is one of the greatest pitching free agent signings in the last 20 years. That statement is true or false and why? Absolutely true. Um, you said in the last how many years? I said 20 years. 20, oh, 20 years. I mean, I, I would I would have to say yes. I'd probably have to see a list, but I, I would say yes just because relative to expectations, I think we all thought, okay, we need a number two for Aaron Nola, to pitch behind Aaron Nola. This guy is the clear-cut number one ace for this team and was a you know, borderline Cy Young candidate last year. Or he was, no, he was a, I think he was a Cy Young candidate last year. Yeah, but, yeah, um, not this year, but still pitched incredibly. I mean, in the postseason, he has been just lights out, pitching at the level of, the likes of Cliff Lee and Roy Halladay when we had them in the postseason, Cole Hamels, like guys we haven't heard names from in 10, 11 years. And I mean, this it's, it's the thing with him is like, he can even miss his spots, but his stuff is so electric. It moves so much. And he, he just blows it by guys that it doesn't matter when he's missing his spots a lot of the time, even when he's missing spots, he is still going to be an extremely, really like an extremely effective pitcher day in and day out. So I'm, I have been very pleased with him. I think he's definitely up there on that list. And you talk about him kind of passing up Aaron Nola in terms of the, you know, spot in the rotation on the Phillies. But is that mm-hmm. it just, is that more of a compliment to Wheeler or are you a little kind of Nola's taking it back a little bit? I think it's, it's more so a compliment to Wheeler. I'd say obviously last year did not go the way Aaron Nola wanted it to go. That was probably one of his worst years of his career. And we were all wondering if Nola was ever going to be that 2018 Cy Young guy again. And I, I don't, I don't know if we'll ever get back to that, but I think this year he kind of put a lot of the concerns to rest. And big thing with Aaron was he'll have that one inning where he just kind of erupts. And that, obviously that happened yesterday in the Padres game. Um, it still happens from time to time, but I think he, he did a really good job of limiting the damage for the most part in those innings in the regular season. And obviously in the postseason, Braves and, um, Against the Braves and against the Cardinals, he was very, very good. So I think it was partially at first because of Nola, Nola's demise, but I think now he's brought it back up to speed. It's just not not at the level that Zach Wheeler has been at the past two years. Zach Wheeler has been kind of uncatchable in terms of the Phillies rotation and other guys being able to meet that level. 
And the last individual player that I want to touch on before we get back to the team as a whole is JT Real Muto. For a long time, he was considered one of the very best catchers in Major League Baseball. I still would probably keep him pretty near the top. Um, has he, since coming over from the Marlins, been better than you expected, right about where you expected, and where does he kind of rank on the team in terms of their importance? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think over the last couple of years – in terms of, I'll go hitting first because I think him behind the plate is a whole different animal. Um, in terms of his approach to the plate, I think there's been times where he's been really up and down, and I've definitely been frustrated with him, just because I think there's there's definitely a, a higher level we were expecting to reach when he got to Philadelphia and when he signed that extension too. And I think he somewhat disappointed. I don't. I, don't, I think that's a strong word, just because I think he at least what he's done behind the plate. I mean, that's he's led the league in pop time for like seven years now. He's so good at blocking pitches in the dirt and keeping everything in front of him and just calling a good game. I think he does a good job of keeping our pitchers in a rhythm and understanding what they want to do. Um, but yeah, in terms of what he did at the plate, I would say this year was really the year where I was like, that's the JT we've been hoping for and wishing for. Because when Bryce and Segura went down, I think he really stepped up into a role that, you know, a level of importance, like you said, they were important that we were really hoping he would reach at some point. And that's why we thought our lineup was going to be so lethal with him and Bryce in there when we got both of them. So I, I think he's taken a big step up this year specifically. I've been really pleased with what he's done um, at, at the plate this year. I mean, you saw the inside the park home run. I, I don't know any other catchers that are going to be able to accomplish that feat anytime soon. There might be a couple guys, but I think him and our backup catcher Garrett Stubbs are really two of the more athletic catchers in baseball. I think JT's probably probably at the top of that list. Maybe there's a counterpoint to that. Maybe there might be some young ca catching prospects that I'm not aware of, but um, yeah, he's, he's definitely, I'd say he, he he's been at about the level we've expected him to be at. I legitimately think for real Mutos inside the park home run, Yasmani Grandal would have gotten a single. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. So in the regular season, <laughs> The Phillies come into the season with kind of mixed expectations. Everybody wants them to finally end the longest playoff drought in the National League. Of course, the Atlanta Braves come in as the defending World Series champions, expecting to repeat as division title winners again. Um, the New York Mets all of a sudden with this incredibly high payroll kind of put together this outstanding regular season. And then the Phillies come in third. You didn't really expect much from the Marlins or the Nats this season. You knew the Nats might move on from Soto. They did. The Marlins, they have probably the Cy Young Award winner, but outside of that, it was kind of an abysmal season for them. Phillies end up coming in third, being that final wildcard team. The Brew Crew and Giants end up being the teams that fail in their, you know, because of the Phillies being as good as they were. How does it feel, though, even though you came in third? you see the Braves and the Mets combine for exactly two playoff wins and you guys are in the NLCS. Oh, it feels incredible. I mean, I hate the Mets so, so much. I, I take so much joy in seeing that fan base suffer year in and year out and seeing that what's it 40 plus years since it's happened now. So I, I, I love it. Their, their fan base is one of the most annoying fan bases in baseball. I'll give them this. Like, look, I, I, I think, City Field is one of the most electric playoff environments. Like I will, I will not deny that. Um, it's even in the regular season, like City Field and Fenway, those are two ballparks. I mean, I haven't been to every ballpark, I, but those are two ballparks I've been to even just the regular season that are electric, even in just a, you know a regular day game on a Sunday or something like that, or on Memorial Day or whatever it is. They come out and they show out. But yeah, I mean that fan base really bothers me. The Braves fan base bothers me a ton too, just because they they've they just had everything. I mean. Obviously, they didn't win the World Series until last year, but 
every single freaking year, it feels like they just come out from nowhere and, and come from behind and take the division after starting out slow and just find a way to sweep the Phillies at the end of the year. So it was also nice seeing the Mets be on the other side of that and the Mets lose the division at the end of the year. Um, and then to see the Mets eliminated and for us to be the ones to eliminate the Braves. And it's just been, it's been poetic to see those two teams go down while the Phillies have been able to advance. It's been a good year for Phillies fans. That's funny. I always love when people admit their hatred for other teams. They, they, a lot of people try to hide it. They're like, no, I don't hate them. I just want my, you know, you know I, I take full pride in saying I hate every single AL Central team. I hope the Cubs yep. go 0-162 every single season. I have yeah. no, people are like, you hate their rivals more than you like your team. I'm like, sometimes. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. 100%. Not, yeah. I always, we always say there was that clip that went viral from Big Cat a little bit. Every time the Green Bay Packers lose in the playoffs, that's our Super Bowl. We're not winning. The Chicago Bears aren't winning the Super Bowl. When the Green Bay Packers lose, it's like I won the Super Bowl as a fan. Yes. So technically, I am a fan of 17 Super Bowl winners. <laughs> and there was one time where he won. So yeah, yeah. For that one. Um, <laughs> back in that wild card series, the against the St. Louis Cardinals with the Phillies, that first game was one of the most electric things I've ever seen. It really looked like the Phillies were done. And I like, I had tweets ready to go. Cause I, at, for someone who's unbiased rooting for either side, like whoever comes out gets the tweet, congratulating them. The Cardinals one was written and it was in my drafts till yesterday. I'm like, I should probably delete this now because the Cardinals have been gone for a while. I'm curious to know what you make of that game. And if you truly believe that that is the reason they are where they are today. Oh, oh, 100%. (laughs) I think that that game, I think, was a complete momentum and morale shift for both sides. Because I've seen the Phillies lose that game 999 times out of 1,000 over the past how many years? I mean, since I'd say since 2018 was when they started to try to be competitive. Before that, they were clearly rebuilding. Um, granted, they didn't, they didn't end up being super competitive since 2018, but they've been around 500 all those years. Every single time the Phillies are in that situation, there's no chance they come back. They go down one, two, three. And after that first out, when Ryan Helsley gets that first out in the ninth, I'm like, yeah, this game's probably over. This, it's, there's no chance we come back. And then – a little bit of life gets breathed into the Phillies in that game. And Ryan Helsley's finger, whatever happened with that, one of the oddest things I've ever seen. And I think the Phillies – look, the Phillies have been kind of the, the fightings all, all season long. They've been the comeback kids a number of times this year, and that's a big reason why they're where they are in the playoffs. And then for them to win that game that way, not only for them to catch a – I think to win – to win to go on a championship run, I think you have to get a little bit of luck along the way. I think that's just part of it. And I think that was one of the things, like – you lose that game, I think there's no way the Phillies win that series. I think they're done. I think they are eliminated by now. And I, I really think winning that game and, and not only just getting that little bit of luck, but then, you know, Gene Segura just throwing the bat out there, getting the barrel of the baseball, and then poking that hit for to get, to get both of those runs in. And I think they took advantage of that little bit of luck they got, and they ran with it. And it took them to the NLCS now. So I absolutely think that's the reason we're, we're here right now. I don't think without that game the Phillies end up going as far as they are. So when Albert Pujols gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, however many years it is from now, and possibly Molina, if he makes it, there are people on both sides of the fence for that. Are you secretly going to just ignore the fact that these two all-time greats are going to the Hall of Fame and just remember how their careers ended? <laughs> well, so I was there in St. Louis for game two. So that absolutely will be part of it for me. I, my buddy who was sitting next to me, he got both their last hits on camera. So, yeah, a big part of it for me will be 
I remember I got to see the Phillies celebrate after you guys ended our dynasty in 2011 and Ryan Howard tore his Achilles on the very last play. And that was a heartbreaking thing for me to watch. The Phillies were never the same after that. We got to end your careers and put you guys into the Hall of Fame. So, yeah, that will that will be a part of it. Look, I, I respect both of them. Um, they've been so fun to watch. I mean, when Albert hit a 700th, I was sitting there watching it, screaming my lungs out. I was so happy for him. I mean, I, I watching Yachty behind the plate. I was a catcher in high school. I mean, being able to watch that guy throughout the years, such a pleasure. I mean, a privilege to be able to watch those two play baseball together. So I have the utmost respect for them. But yeah, part of it will be the fact that I got to witness both of them and their careers live. <laughs> That's outstanding. I mean, wow. What an all-time great baseball memory for you. And then you come into this series with the Atlanta Braves last week. And they take game one, Philly, surprise, like kind of surprisingly, no oh, offense, yeah. but I think to yeah. the general fan base of Major League Baseball, the Braves came in as the favorite and they yes. dropped game one of the Phillies. And after every first game in every series, I was like, okay, the Astros are up one nothing over the Mariners because of that huge comeback win they had. The Guardians are up one nothing over the Yankees in that series, a little surprising. The Phillies are up one nothing, and I'm missing the other. Oh, the Dodgers were up one nothing over the Padres. I'm like, if any team could come back in that set of series that went down 0-1, I was like, it's probably the Braves. And sure enough, in game number two, the Braves come all the way back and they win that game. They tie the series at one, and then that was their last win of the entire season because the Phillies mowed through them in the final two games. Were you a little surprised at how kind of easy it felt to see the Phillies take down the Braves there in those final two games? I am absolutely with you guys. I was, I mean, I now I'm a Phillies fan. Like I was tremendously surprised. Again, I, I thought we would maybe win the wild card series. And and even, even after that Ryan Helsley game, I was like, we're going to have to get some of that luck against the Braves. When we won game one in that series, I was shocked. I'm like, we got Wheeler on the mound in game two tomorrow. And we just won game one. Like this is unbelievable. I was with all you guys. So to see them win that series as a whole, I mean, once we got to that game four, I kind of had a feeling like that the way that crowd was in game three, I was like, I just, I just don't know. Even with Syndergaard only going one time through the order and we knew that was going to happen. I was like, I just don't know if they lose that game with that crowd at home. I mean, the crowd really, it really feels like they just willed the Phillies to those two wins. And granted the Phillies also piled on, they got insurance runs, both of those games. And yeah, like you said, like it, it just felt easy at that point because not only did the Phillies win, I mean, they dominated those last two games pretty handily. The game one, I mean, look, the Braves came all the way back and you're thinking, well, even though the Braves lost that game, they've got momentum going into game two. They obviously win game two. We make a couple errors. We don't hit at all. And you're going into game three, even though it was that first playoff game and, and we're feeling the energy from it, you're thinking, well, the Phillies haven't scored an X amount of innings. And now the Braves have a little bit of momentum and I really would. And they have Spencer Strider goes, I mean, the first two innings, he was cruising. I, I, I was really, really concerned about it. And then that third inning happens and everything changed after that. Ever since that third inning where Reese Hoskins hits, it's the home run and the bat spike just lets out all the emotion that the fans felt ever since then. You just, you just felt like the Phillies were going to win that series. So, but going into that series and even after games one and two, I was, I was shocked to be even where we were tied one, one, and then to be up to one, I was even more shocked. But at that point, I, I think I, I had felt that the series was going to be won by the Phillies in game four. That's awesome. And then you come into the series with the San Diego Padres who 
kind of like the Phillies are not a surprise, but mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're not as good on paper as the Dodgers. They're not as good sure. on paper as the Braves. And I don't think they're as good on paper as the Mets, but that as the Phillies have shown pretty much means nothing. You got to come into the playoffs hot. You got to play well. You got to get good pitching and your big bombers have to be big bombers when the time is right. And that's been the case for San Diego. They go down one, nothing in the first game to the uh, Phillies. And then they come back and tie it in game two. Are you a little worried because of the fact that Philly was up for nothing in that game and then they let that big lead that they had early slip away? Oh, I'm definitely concerned. I, that was like at least the Braves game, too. I was like, all right, we made a couple errors. They made weak contact. They got a little bit lucky there. And our bats just were dead that game. I still felt pretty good going into that game three, even though I was shocked we were there. Um, as far as yesterday yesterday goes, I mean, I'm sitting there in the first inning, or second inning, whatever the Phillies are up for or nothing. I'm like, it's just too easy. This Phillies team is just too good. We're going to run right through the Padres on the way to the World Series. Sure enough, they hit back-to-back home runs, and then everything changed after that. And, you know, they end up winning that game. I think it was 8-5, to five, I think it was the final score. So, yeah, that losing the game that way, I don't like that going into this next year, especially not only for momentum, we had to use a number of bullpen guys yesterday, and now you have Ranger Suarez on the mound for game three, who has been 50-50 this year. Sometimes he will, you know, he'll go three and a third like he did against the Braves because he runs up his pitch count. He nibbles around the strike zone. His command isn't quite pinpoint. And sure, he'll get it. He's able to get out of the jams that he puts himself in. But if he puts himself in a jam tomorrow or a couple jams, we're going to have some issues um, going deep into that game and going with the bullpen. We're going to need a Ranger to probably go at least four or five <laughs> to really get through tomorrow's game. And then you have game four, which is a mystery. It sounds like Syndergaard won't be the starter in that one. Maybe Bailey Falter goes. But point being, you don't have a, a bona fide starter who the, the team trusts necessarily to go probably more than one time through the order. You're probably going to have an opener in that game. So that's another concern. So, yeah, I, I am co- I'm very concerned. While I think the crowd will be a big factor, I'm very concerned from a bullpen standpoint and a starting pitching standpoint going into these next two games and a momentum standpoint because now the Padres feel like, okay, we just took that game from them after they were probably feeling great about themselves with Aaron Nola pitching that rest of the game and we, they were up 4-0. We kind of feel like we have the upper hand now. So I, I'm definitely concerned going into that next game just because I think – it's the NLCS. The Padres also feel like they're that team of destiny, like the Phillies. That things have just kind of gone their way, and I, you know, I think the Padres now they're starting to believe in themselves a little bit too. If we can grab, even if they can just grab one in Philly, I know you know you don't want to go down three two, but then you have two games at home. So you can grab one in Philly, you got a good shot. You can grab two in Philly, you're sitting real good. So yeah, I think they feel good about themselves, and I'm definitely concerned for the Phillies. Okay, and on the contrary to that, though. And listen, you're right. Everything you just said about Padres getting one and gaining some momentum from that last game, I agree with all of that. I certainly would be feeling good if I was a Padres fan too. But also, you look at the side of the coin for the Phillies, and it's like, okay, well, they had a big lead against the Braves in game one of that series. And then the Braves came all the way back and got within one run. I believe it was Matty O who hit a big home run in the ninth inning and got it to within one for the Braves. And they took that momentum into game two and one. And Philly said, okay, no, 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 no. We are not letting that, you know, override us and take over the season. They have experience in this postseason to learn from and bring into this next game and say, hey, whether we win this game or not, it is not going to define us. We are that game is over. It's in the past. We move forward. Does that kind of like shed light on the whole situation? Because you're right. Oh, both yeah. teams do feel like a team of destiny. Something's got to give. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And I, again, I, I think that part of it is they, 
they really do know they're like, we have never experienced what that game three in Philadelphia was like. We've never experienced something like that. And the game four too. And I think when you know you have that behind you and, and that type of just earthquake ready to ready to erupt in that stadium. I know I keep belaboring on this point about the crowd, but I think that's part of it. I think they do understand that they want to get it done for that fan base. And you know, that doesn't, that doesn't always lead to execution. That's not going to be the end all be all for them. But yeah, I do think they, I do think it's part of what you said is that they're not going to let that game define them and they're going to let, you know, let that be that game. And they can't go back and change that. They understand that it is what it is. And tomorrow is an, a completely new game. Last time we played Joe Musgrove, he gave up six runs and Ranger pitched in that game. He only gave up two and in seven and a third. So obviously baseball is different. That's the regular season. It's not going to happen again, but I think they feel good about their odds. Like, okay, you know, what would happen last time? Maybe they're not thinking about that but from a fan perspective. I'm superstitious. So I, I always like to see a good omen like that, but yeah, I, I think they absolutely don't let one game define themselves and they're looking forward to getting a chance to just go back at it tomorrow. In the American League, you have the New York Yankees playing against the Houston Astros. I have seen that be defined as Darth Vader versus Thanos. I've seen it be defined as Lord Voldemort versus Cruella DeVille. I've seen it like there are just so many different things I've seen as like the two titans of the American League meet up in this American League mm. championship series. Does it make you feel good knowing that if the Phillies do pull this off against the Padres... 90% of the United States of America and Canada will be rooting for your team. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think a part of it for me was like, well, the Mariners had a longer drought than us. I'm not going to want to face them. The guardians obviously have the longest drought in sports history. So, or for a championship, I think um, now that the I don't know if it's the longest amongst them, but point being longest championship drought in baseball. And obviously, and you know, I, I wouldn't be torn. I'd still be cheering for the Phillies in those two series, but I'd be like, well, I'm going to feel bad if we beat the guardians. Cause I also have wanted them to win a world series for some time. Like, yeah, that's my perspective. And I think that's perspective. Of a lot of people is like, they're going to cheer for the, the kind of the underdog almost in a sense. And I think, honestly, I think whoever comes out of the national league, they're definitely going to be cheering for, you know, obviously the Astros, no one wants to see them win a world series again. Um, and then the Yankees, obviously they've won enough. Like no one wants to see them win. And if the Phillies got to play one of them, I mean, for me, look, it's 2009 World Series rematch. That was crushing as a kid to watch that after winning a World Series. You know, I'm thinking as an eight-year-old, oh, we're back in the World Series again. We're going to win a World Series every year. And Phillies just ended up getting progressively worse as the years went on and eventually did not make the playoffs anymore and missing the playoffs for a long time. And then as far as the Astros go, I mean, it's kind of a superstitious thing for me. Like the Nationals in 2019, they're they're – Cinderella run. They started off really slow. They ended up beating the Astros at the end of it. The Braves last year, obviously the Phillies have been compared to that team a lot. That ended up with them having a Cinderella run and beating the Astros. And how fitting would it be for an NL East team, another Cinderella team from the NL East to do it a third time and finish with beating the Astros. So yeah, it, it does, it does give me comfort those two things. But it, like you said, I mean, the whole country will be on our side probably no matter what happens in the if we, if we were, are able to pull it out, even the Padres, like I think the whole country is going to be rooting for the Padres if they go on and move on. But that's hopefully not going to happen. <laughs> I was going to ask you, would you? Yeah, that's that's definitely the, the best question to ask. Um, I feel like I can't answer that right now. Like I, it depends on if the Phillies lose the series. I mean, it really depends on how they lose the series. Like if we just get manhandled, I'll be like, all right, well, we didn't win, deserve to win the series. But like if there's some like ticky-tack call that defines the series or – Something like Manny Machado that like hits a home run and does like some showboat thing that really sets me off. 
I might end up, I might end up turning to the dark side. So I'll have to get back to you on that. I'm not sure. I'd like to say I would, but we'll have to see. <laughs> That's honestly really funny. There was something I was going to ask about the oh the Phillies in 2008 when they won the World Series. Does this team give you like vibes similar to that season, or is it kind of kind of is it a different feel? It's, I mean, I think there's parts of it that are different, but I think there are parts of it that do feel the same. I mean, that Shane Victorino grand slam off of CC Sabathia in, um, in game, I forget what game it was at the NLDS. It might have been game one, but then you have Reese Hoskins hit that 3 1 home run and bat spike, and everyone was chanting Spencer, Spencer after we were chanting CC, CC in that series. And then you have the Kyle Schwerber home run the other night reminds me of when Matt Stairs comes up and pinch hits and hits one of the night against the Dodgers on the West coast in that NLCS series. So there, there's some weird parallels like that where I'm like, these just kind of have the same vibe to them, but there's also some things I'm like, the Phillies didn't have a one, two punch like Wheeler Nola back then it was Hamels. And then we had Brett Myers who had been, you know, kind of caught fire in the playoffs, but got sent down earlier that year. You had Jamie Moyer, who was like 44 years old at the time of that world series. He, I mean, he, maybe 42 point being very old. I mean, he was awesome, but just didn't have that quite, quite the same feel like that one-two punch you have with Wheeler and Nola where you feel like you can win any any freaking game with them on the mound. And then as far as the lineup goes, I feel like I feel like that 2008 lineup was just such a good mix of speed and, and contact and power. And I felt like it was just set up so perfectly, whereas I feel like this year it's just a lot of like power. And then I feel like the bottom of our lineup is very, very strong, whereas like Pedro Feliz, Carlos Ruiz, some of those guys would come through from time to time. We love them, but – I feel like a, a Brandon Marsh, Gene Segura, and Bryson Stott, I feel like they're a really strong bottom of the lineup of, of young guys. Obviously, Segura's not young, but when you have Segura batting in your 7-8 hole, I feel like that's a really good sign of where your lineup's at. So there's some things I, I feel the same, but there's also some things like this Phillies team wasn't supposed to be here, whereas that Phillies team, like, they were supposed to be in the playoffs, but they also weren't really expected to go as far as they did. And, they again, they caught some luck and ended up facing the Rays in the World Series that year. And, you know, they ended up winning that in five, so – that's awesome. Well, we hope the Phillies have a tremendous amount of success going forward. Um, it would be great to see them play in the World Series. I think they're one of the great brands in Major League mm-hmm. Baseball, so we'll see how that ends up. Um, you also cover the Eagles for fans to do an inside the Eagles. I love that, the Eagles. <laughs> and they're off to a tremendous start. I picked them to win the NFC East. I did when we did our preview show. We have a <laughs> hockey show that we also talk football on, and – I picked them to win the NFC East, but I had them as the four seed, the fourth division mm-hmm. winner. And here they are, 6-0, and rolling over teams that are pretty good. They, they have a win over the Vikings. They beat the Cowboys. It's not like they're just, you know, rolling over bad teams. And sure. you know, they got, they're in a division that has some pressure on them now with the Giants kind of outperforming everyone, all, everyone's expectations so far this season. Obviously, we know what the Cowboys have done. Um even the commanders pulled off a big win against the bears. And a lot of people are thinking <laughs> yeah. making up at the Packers this week. Like yeah. it's not a division that lacks pressure. So I'm curious what you make of their start so far and what is the biggest contributing factor for it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I've definitely been very pleased with their, their start. Now I think they've yet to play a complete game. The second quarter has been pretty dominant for them. And the third quarter has been the complete opposite. So I think they got to figure out what's going on there, but I mean, when their game plan is working and when they know what they're trying to, to do and they're executing it to perfection, I mean, it's been a thing of beauty. I I, I think, look, I, I I think Jalen Hurts' development this year has been a huge part of it. Last year, I think there were some things that he needed to improve upon, and I think he made some strides in those areas this year, whether it's, you know, 
thrown on the run to his left, just thrown to the left in general, um, footwork in the pocket, throwing mechanics as a whole, and just, you know, obviously seeing the field better, seeing the defense better. You're in the league a year. You, you have a little bit of a better idea of what defensive coordinators want to try to do to you. I think that's been a big part of it. I think having the continuity of the same system over the, you know, this year, last year, guys were trying to learn something new. And this year, look, the defense, there's a lot of new guys, so they're still trying to learn some stuff too, but they've been pretty darn good even with that. And yeah, I think coaching has been a big part of it. I think coaching has been a big part. We haven't played a complete game yet too. You got to put your players in a position to succeed, but I think the coaching has come into the games with them, you know, putting that, getting them ready to be succeed. Um, it's just about making adjustments later and they, they've made adjustments in the fourth quarter when they needed to. So yeah, coaching, I think Jalen Hurts' progression. And, yeah, they made a lot of offseason additions, especially on the defense side of the ball. Jordan Davis has been massive for them in the run game. Stats won't show it, but every time he is stopping the run or out there, out there playing that nose tackle position, I mean, the teams are averaging probably like three yards a carry, maybe less sometimes. Um, and that, you know, you obviously add Kaiser White. He's been big at the linebacker position. There's guys on that defense. You know, I've James Bradbury. There's guys on that defense who have been there before, like Slay. Brandon Graham comes back from injury. Um, you have a lot of other dudes on that defense, TJ Edwards, who have you know been in that defense for a little bit and they know what to do and they know how like how to execute and what Jonathan Gannon wants them to do. So I think the defensive additions have been huge as well. And last thing, AJ Brown. I mean, <laughs> what he's done is opened up everything else for that entire offense. I think that's been massive. In 2018, I believe it was when Alabama won the national championship and they had Jalen Hurts, Tua Tungo Bailoa, and Mac Jones. <laughs> all dressed in the game and you saw the picture of them three did it ever occur to you that maybe your guy who was probably the least touted coming out of the draft that he was the only one that wasn't a first round pick hey he was the only one who wasn't a first half first round pick he's been the most successful so far this season that's got to feel pretty good right because bama pre jalen hurts i think of like aj mccarron and a bunch of guys who like were third fourth round picks that blake kind of sims out. yeah blake sims exactly yeah, it, it's it's weird. I remember watching Jalen Hurts his freshman year, and I was in high school. I didn't know as much about football, but um, I remember telling my dad, I was like, I really like this guy. Like, he's a lot of fun to watch. And granted, he was really only making, you know, one or two reads. He was either going to run the ball or he was going to throw it to one guy on the football field. And Alabama executed it to perfection. But yeah, it, it is weird, like going back to watching those Alabama teams, remembering Jalen Hurts there, and then seeing him go to Oklahoma. And then a couple months after he plays at Oklahoma, he's a Heisman candidate he's on my football team. And I'm thinking, what the heck are we doing? Carson Wentz is still the quarterback of this team. He just led this team to the playoffs on his back and, you know, would have had a chance to win that game. If not for getting hit in the head by Clowney, uh, you know what? Like it ended up being the right call. Um, Wentz had a lot of, a lot of issues on the field after that injury, ever since the Super Bowl year. And it is, it is really weird to, to think like, especially like to attack by low. I think a lot of us, and you know, we're kind of seeing it now, but, you know, obviously the injury happened, but when he was starting out this year, look, he was doing good. A lot of us were expecting him to be that guy from Alabama who was the, you know, the guy who was going to prove that Alabama quarterback narrative wrong. And then Mac Jones, I wasn't as much of a believer in him coming out of college, but once he landed with the Patriots, I was like, that's a good spot for him to be. And that's a guy you're thinking he's, he's going to help the Patriots start to win. And he did last year, right away. They went to the playoffs, which is a huge success for a rookie quarterback. Um, yeah, I, I think it's really weird seeing those two guys do what they did and now and you know Jalen Hurts getting benched and having the storyline he does. I mean, I think it's just a testament. I'm not saying this is an indictment on the other two guys at all. I think it's just a testament to the worker that Jalen Hurts is. And 
hearing stories of him just being in the building. And it's just, it sounds cliche, but like him being in the building after everyone else has left and being there before everyone got there, like this is his life. I mean, football is his number one priority right now, it seems like. And I mean, it's, it's really translated onto the football field. So it's, it's really cool for him. I think he's a hard person not to root for. I mean, I think as Eagles fans, we all said, we, we love him and we want to root for him, but we're just not sure what his ceiling is going to be. And there was a lot of like, a lot of division among the fan base, a lot of people like me who were kind of in the middle on him and to see the work ethic he's put in. And it, it really is a, tes- a testament to that. Cause I think a lot of people think that there's, there's a certain ceiling that you're going to be capped at, but I think Jalen hurts has almost proved that narrative wrong that, you know, if you put in the work and really, really grind and just make it your number one focus that you can absolutely get to where you need to get to and where you want to get to. So I think it's a testament to him. If a team like the bills, or the Chiefs, or the Buccaneers, maybe even New England, Green Bay, if any of those teams started 6-0, and they would be number one on everyone's power rankings, and every <laughs> single person in the world would believe that they are going to represent their conference in the Super Bowl. Yes. But for some odd reason, and I saw on Colin Coward, he had them ranked number one. But most okay. other most other publications would put the Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs ahead of the Eagles, despite having a loss or two, different circumstances, whatever. I myself am guilty of that sometimes, too. I think that's just when you're looking at teams from the outside in, sometimes you're a little hesitant when it's a team that's A, surprising, and B, maybe overperforming a little bit. But what is the scope from people who watch this team every single week, keep up with practices, keep up with what the coaches are saying all week long? Are they – as much of a contender as they've looked so far in the season. I know the second half has been a slight problem, but because mm-hmm. the second half being a problem be because they were so good in the first half and they take their gap, their foot off the gas a little bit like that happens sometimes in sports. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious your thoughts on that and where they stand kind of on the national scope. Absolutely. And I, I think that's fair to an extent too. I mean, I, we all knew coming into the year that the AFC was where there was going to be a lot of competition. Right. And I think that was, a big part of it is that this NFC is wide open. I mean, I, th- I think there's been some really bad football we've watched in the league this year. Like there, there have been some really bad primetime games. There's been a lot of teams underperforming overall. I mean, I, I think there's just like almost a lack of good teams as a whole, at least to this, like to this point, I think, you know, hopefully it'll get better, but I think that's part of the reason people are hesitant to just crown the Eagles right now is that the you know, legitimate NFC contender to beat because they also like they they played some teams right the Cowboys and Vikings obviously have been very good but I think people want to see them go up against one of those elite teams but the problem is a lot of those teams are in the AFC right now I mean they're not going to get to play them unless they get to the Super Bowl um, and the teams they do play in the AFC aren't you know that great I think we're playing the AFC South for the most part this year um, and I, you know I think we played the Jets we played the play the Jets I forget we I forget but. Um, point being, I mean, we play the AFC South. That's obviously not necessarily a highly touted division too. So, um, and I mean, on the schedule, I mean, the toughest team we have left is probably the Packers. And I think we're, we're probably going to, you know, we're not going to win every game. We're going to get upset by a team at some point. There's going to be a trap game in there and everyone's going to freak out. Yeah. I told you, I told you the Eagles couldn't play against any good competition. That team wasn't even that good. They lost to, but I'm taken back to 2017. We won the Super Bowl. And we lost to Seattle midseason that year. I believe Seattle finished seven and nine that season. They were our kryptonite for a number of years. They have been, we don't play well against Seattle. And, you know, we lost that game. I think a lot of people were freaking out, but then we come back the next week. And even though Carson Wentz tears his ACL, we beat the Rams who were considered that other team that we needed to beat to get to that point. So 
I'm not too concerned. I think that we're going to start to put together a full game. I think this team has a lot of talent. And, yeah, I think as far as the national scope goes, I think people will start to put the Eagles as one of those teams just because maybe part of it, lack of competition in the NFC, but also because I think the Eagles are going to continue to prove as the weeks go on that they're going to start to build a complete game and they're going to see a lot of the talent that this team has. So I'm excited for it. The only teams on your remaining schedule I have in front of me that look like a team that could be, and I'm not saying they will beat them every single right. time, but like the, the Eagles trap games, quote unquote, could be Green Bay, as you mentioned. I think Tennessee's a good enough team where you got to give yeah. them a little bit of respect. And then sure. one more with Dallas, two more with the Giants. I'm just saying on December 18th, you better watch out for those Chicago Bears because they're coming <laughs> with that ass. No, I'm totally joking. But I'm I'm excited about the Eagles and what they've done so far this season. Listen, as long as somebody not named the Dallas Cowboys wins the NFC East, I think people outside of rooting for a team in that division will be happy about it. Similar to the Astros and the Yankees in a lot of ways. But, you know, I'm happy to get your thoughts on the Eagles. That was good conversation. Before I let you go, I do have to ask you about one more team, though. I do host a hockey podcast on the Barroom Network as well, so I got to get your opinion on the – you know, surprisingly 3-1-0 Philadelphia <laughs> Flyers playing torts ball. Yeah, I mean, I, it, I don't, I'm not trying to get too emotionally invested into it yet because I, I know, I know once that happens, then what happened last night's going to happen where we, we start to lose every game. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I told you before the podcast, like they reached their season win total for me. I am satisfied for now. Um, I love Tortorella. I mean, I think he's the perfect guy for where we're at at this point in our franchise. I think it's also really cool to have a coach who understands like his job is to get the team to a point where he can hand it over to the next coach and be confident in the product that's there for them to build upon that and then start winning down the road. His job is not to build this team into a winner right away. And I think that says a lot to have a coach who understands that it, that's his job and that he's not the long-term head coach. You know, I, I, I think it's really special to have someone in the building who still wants to help. And I think, look, that could end up leading to him getting a job in the front office somewhere or somewhere in the building, just because of that commitment to getting this team better. And I think you've already seen it. Like these guys are gritty. They're tough. Like they want to go out there and just fight every single game, literally and figuratively. So um, you love to see it. And yeah, I, I like where the Flyers are at right now. I can't complain. I, I, as long as, you know, while the Eagles are doing well and the Phillies, however long their playoff run goes, the Flyers just need to be good for that long. And then after that, whatever happens, happens. So <laughs> all season long or all off season long, I was saying that Philly, Chicago, Arizona, San Jose, they should yep. all be rooting to lose every single game because Connor Bedard, <laughs> the kid who's going to be number one overall pick yes. in the next draft, is supposed to be so sweet. And if the Phillies were to win him, you would have Bedard, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Jack Hughes, Alexander Ovechkin, all of these sick number one or number two overall picks in the Metropolitan Division. Yeah. So. You know, what what the Flyers have been doing so far has been impressive, but um, I'm happy to see Philly sports succeeding. Yeah, absolutely. So, Hunter, before I let you go, I want you to tell everybody how they can find you on social media, where they can read your work, what you might have coming up next, something that's out already that you might be proud of that you want people to share. The floor is yours to promote yourself and talk nicely about yourself, because if you don't, who's going to? Besides <laughs> Appreciate me. it. Appreciate it. Yeah, so you guys, my, my main... My main place I'm at right now, Philly Insider Podcast. We're on YouTube, on Anchor and stuff too, but most of our work is going to be on YouTube. So go check us out there. That's really where I'm going to be doing most of my videos. I'll be covering the Phillies playoffs day in and day out, pregame, postgame, hype videos, 
Um, and then for the Eagles, we've got some all 22 content every so often, not too often, but got something releasing tonight for that. And um, yeah, just general coverage on the team. Sixers will be starting up as well. And yeah, I'll probably, I've, I haven't been writing in a little bit, but I'll probably get back on that soon. So inside the Eagles, that ball's out of here. Um, you guys can check out my work there, but yeah, that's, that's where you can find me Twitter at H Doyle Eagles. I'll also be tweeting out a ton during the NLCS. I'm sure. So Vinny, I want to take a second. Thank you so much for inviting me, having me on. I know it was, I, I didn't even see it till this morning, so I'm glad it worked out and I really do appreciate you reaching out and guys, make sure you check out all of Vinny's work and, um, yeah, give this podcast a, a five-star rating, whatever, you know, subscribe wherever you can subscribe. And, um, uh, yeah, Vinny's doing a lot of work, so make sure you guys show your appreciation for it. Absolutely. Hunter. I'm a big fan. I've, I was looking through your work, studying up a little bit to get ready for this show. It is outstanding stuff. The podcast is great work and I'm happy to see Philly sports, those Philly scumbags as everybody always refers to them. You can't be rooting for Philly. They chant mean things at people. They're going to hurt your feelings if they keep winning. That's just the way it is. Follow yes, at Doyle Eagles on twitter.com. Make sure you tune into all his work and we will send you to a quick commercial break. And look, I loved Rex Grossman. I'm not trying to get you to besmirch him in any way, but it seemed like he didn't have it uh, at Super Bowl 41. Maybe it was the rain, but if Lovey inserts Brian Greasy at some point in the second half, could that have been the difference and you all would be wearing rings here in 2022 for Super Bowl 41 champions? I don't know if Brian Greasy would have changed anything, but I definitely think that the game was too big for Rex that day. The one thing I've learned is everything's got to click. And if it doesn't, things can go sour. I mean, both teams are in the Super Bowl for a reason. They're good teams. And, and you get there, part of it's luck, part of it's it, it's good play. But if things don't click exactly the way you want them to, it can go south. Welcome back to Crosstown Crosstalk. I would like to thank Hunter Doyle very much for coming on our show. It was an incredible time. He did a great job. I'm very happy to get some Philadelphia flavor on the show, I believe. So I've had Gabrielle Starr on, and she was the uh, head content creator for That Ball's Out of Here for a little while there. But she's mostly a Red Sox girl. I think when purse comes to shove, that's her favorite team. It was nice to have somebody who's true number one favorite team in sports comes from the great city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, if you will, or as some people in the near metropolitans like Boston and New York, will call it the city of brotherly hate. I like Philly. They're kind of mean. They're nasty. They're chant mean things if they keep winning. And I kind of like that. So thank you, Hunter, for coming on. That was my kind of show. I'm very happy to talk Philly with you. We hope to have you back sometime soon. During the interview... We had some big news come out regarding the Gold Glove Award finalists in the American League and the National League. So we will go through those here on the Barroom Network's Crosstown Crosstalk. From the American League at the catcher position, you have Jose Trevino from the New York Yankees, Cal Rayleigh from the Seattle Mariners, and Sean Murphy of the Oakland Athletics. At second base, you have Jonathan Scoop of the Detroit Tigers, Marcus Semyon of the Texas Rangers, and Andres Jimenez from the Cleveland Guardians. At third base, you have Matt Chapman from the Toronto 
Blue Jays, Ramon Urias from the Baltimore Orioles, Jose Ramirez from the Cleveland Guardians. At center field, you have Miles Straw from the Cleveland Guardians, Cedric Mullins of the Baltimore Orioles, and Michael A. Taylor from the Kansas City Royals. At pitcher, you have Jose Barrios of the Toronto Blue Jays, the uh, Shane Bieber of the Cleveland Guardians, and Jamison Tallon from the New York Yankees. At first base, you have Anthony Rizzo of the New York Yankees, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. of the Toronto Blue Jays, I almost said Maple Leafs, and Luis Arise from the Minnesota Twins. At shortstop, you have Xander Bogarts of the Boston Red Sox, Jeremy Pena of the Houston Astros, and Carlos Correa of the Minnesota Twins. How funny is that? Houston's old shortstop and their new shortstop. Nominated for the Gold Glove Award winner. In left field, you have Brandon Marsh, who split time between the Los Angeles Angels and Philadelphia Phillies this season. Andrew Benny Buttcheeks, Benny Tendy from the Kansas City Royals slash New York Yankees. He played for both of them this season, of course, and Stephen Kwan of the Cleveland Guardians. In right field, you have Max Kepler of the Minnesota Twins, Jackie Bradley Jr., who spent lit time between the Boston Red Sox and the Toronto Blue Jays, and Kyle Tucker of the Houston Astros. And then at utility, you have Whit Merrifield of the Kansas City-Toronto pair. He played for both of them this season. DJ LeMahieu of the New York Yankees and Luis Renfro from the Los Angeles Angels. No Chicago White Sox players nominated for the Gold Glove Award. That is not surprising. They were trash on defense. Um, I'm noticing a theme here. There are a couple teams on here who are represented quite a bit. A lot of Cleveland Guardians. You have a Cleveland Guardian at second base, third base, center field, pitcher, left field. Yeah. What is that, five positions? The Cleveland Guardians? They play great defense. White Sox, you better straighten things out before next season. Surprisingly, a lot of Toronto Blue Jays on there as well. That team can mash. They could also play defense. If they could get just a little bit better pitching next year, I think they'll go a long way. So let's head on over to the National League, which I didn't even have a chance to look at. I looked at the American League one before reading it while we were doing the commercial. Didn't get around to the National League. So we are learning these together. That catcher for the National League finalist for the Gold Glove Award winner, you have Thomas Nito from the New York Mets. Travis Darnod from the Atlanta Braves, JT Realmuto of the Philadelphia Phillies. At second base, you have Tommy Edmond of the St. Louis Cardinals, Brennan Rogers of the Colorado Rockies, and Jake Cronworth from the San Diego Padres. At third base, you have Nolan Arenado of the St. Louis Cardinals, Brian McMahon of the Colorado Rockies, and Brian Hayes from the Pittsburgh Pirates. At center field, it's Victor Robles from the Washington Nationals, Trent Grisham of the San Diego Padres, and Alec Thomas of the Arizona Diamondbacks. At pitchers, Max Freed from the Atlanta Braves, Tyler Anderson from the Los Angeles Dodgers, and Corbin Burns of the Milwaukee Brewers. At first base, it's Matt Olson of the Atlanta Braves, Paul Goldschmidt of the St. Louis Cardinals, Christian Walker of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And at shortstop, it's Ha-Sung Kim from the San Diego Padres, Dansby Swanson of the Atlanta Braves, and Miguel Rojas from the Miami Marlins. In left field, your only Chicago representative on this gold glove list is Ian Happ of the Chicago Cubs, along with David Peralta, who split time between the Arizona Diamondbacks and Tampa Bay Rays. Christian Yelich, who plays for the Milwaukee Brewers, as you know. And, of course, right field, Mookie Betts of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Juan Soto, who split time between the Washington Nationals and San Diego Padres. And Dalton Varsho of the Arizona Diamondbacks. At utility, it's Brennan Donovan from the St. Louis Cardinals, Tommy Edmond from the St. Louis Cardinals, and Dalton Varsho from the Arizona Diamondbacks. 
Wow, there's a lot to come up with there. We'll go through who we think is going to win each one when we predict awards later on future program in the season. But, you know, that's what we got as far as finalists. The only thing I'll say, this Alec Thomas kid, the shortstop or the center field gold glove nominee for the Arizona Diamondbacks, I'd like the White Sox to trade for him. Yeah. I would like the White Sox to trade for him a lot. Congratulations to Ian Happ. He is well-deserving of a left-field nod. This truly was an all-star season for him, both with his bat and his glove. We touched on the National League Championship Series with Hunter Doyle, who, of course, is a Phillies guy. They are currently in a 1-1 series tie with the San Diego Padres. Listen, guys, that's a star-studded series. Like Manny Machado, Juan Soto. Okay, Bryce Harper, JT Real Muto, Kyle Schwarber, Nicholas Castellanos, Josh Bell on the pitching side of things, Aaron Nola, Blake Wheeler, Yu Darvish, Blake Snell, Josh Hader. Okay, there, this is a great series. It's 1-1. I can't wait to see what's going to happen. I have no idea who's going to win. I was wearing this Padres jersey just because I think it's sick. It's their um, City Connect. I like it's just one of my favorite ones. It's got colors. There are going to be people who don't like it, but I like colorful things. So, you know, I'm happy with this jersey. I like wearing it. Um, it's a good time. And this NLCS is going to be nothing short of sensational. I do think it, pro- if it doesn't go the distance, I certainly think it's going to go six games. And then in the ALCS, Houston Astros kind of made some easy work of the New York Yankees yesterday. It was only four to two, but it didn't feel close. It didn't feel like the Yankees had a legitimate chance to come back and win the game. I know Tony Rizzo came back and hit a big-time home run later in the game that got it to within two again, but I just don't see the Yankees winning this series. I know anything can happen, and I'll be crazy wrong if the Yankees do come back and win, but this feels like a series where the Houston Astros come back and get the big – not come back. They come in and get the big dub and go to the World Series for the second year in a row and the fourth time in the last six years. They got caught with the garbage cans and the technology and the buzzers and all that stuff in 2017. They won the World Series. Everybody's well aware of that. It's the elephant in the room every single time you talk about the Houston Astros. It gave them a 1% advantage, and they won the World Series, but they really didn't need it. This team is really good. They know what they're doing. They're the well, most well-run organization in all of baseball. I mean, that's just a fact. They had this Jeremy Pena kid come out of nowhere. He was a third round pick. He was one of those draft picks from 2019 that didn't get to play a minor league season in 2020 because of COVID-19. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, huh, this guy's got 19 games of minor league experience under his belt. And now they think he can replace Carlos Correa. What? Carlos Correa was the number one overall pick, all-star, superstar, you know, one of the best shortstops in the game. Nah, let Carlos Correa go to Minnesota. He'll be fine. He's going to have a good year there. But we got Jeremy Pena. Now Jeremy Pena joins Carlos Correa as a gold glove nominee in the American League, and he's having some big moments in the World Series. Those are the things Houston does. They find ways to take advantage of their resources as well as any organization, not just in sports. In the world, think of businesses like grocery stores, restaurants, stuff like that. Nobody takes advantage of their resources to come to a greater profit and more outstanding bottom line than the Houston Astros. That is what they do. They didn't pay Correa. Now they got this Pena kid who's just as good for a lot less money, and they are three wins away from the World Series. We will see if they're able to hold off those Yankees 
Um, I know we'll see Garrett Cole coming up here in a couple days. That's going to be really exciting. They actually play a game later tonight on Thursday. I know if you're listening to this on the podcast later on, you'll know exactly what happened. But Luis Severino is going to play against Valdez. The two of them are going to start for the Yankees and Astros, respectively. It's not going to be easy for either team, but I do think the Astros get another win at home and take a 2-0 series lead and head back to the Bronx, where I'm sure the Yankees will make things a little bit interesting, but I'm not counting on them to win this series at all. This feels like a clash of whoever comes out of that crazy NLCS to face off against the Houston Astros again. But I've been wrong before. We'll see what happens. But I can't thank Hunter Doyle enough for coming on this show and talking a bunch of Philadelphia sports with us. It was a great time talking football, baseball, even a little bit of hockey. And speaking of the other sports, you could tune into the other net, uh, programs on the Barroom Network across the weekend. We we're talking football. We got Mike North, Dan and Aldo Bear Their Souls on Tuesdays. You know, some great Chicago Bulls shows. They are now 1-0 after defeating the Miami Heat last night. That was a great game. Very excited about that. Um, hopefully the Bulls keep it up. And we're seeing so much red all season long. I will be back with Frank Mueller next Wednesday at 2 p.m. to discuss all things going on in the National Hockey League. And I highly encourage everybody to watch my pregame show of the New Jersey Devils, Devils Game Day Live, presented by the Let's Go Devils podcast. Every Devils home game, even if you don't like the Devils, come say hello to me, call me a gabagoo, whatever you got to do. It's a lot of fun. I'm hoping everybody enjoys their weekend, watches tons of sports. You have the 27th sports equinox in the history of the world. Today, you got MLB, NHL, NFL, NBA. It is a great time to be alive I hope everybody has a safe, fun, outstanding weekend. As always, thank you for listening. Another happy landing.